You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Let's see if you guys recognize this song. Turn it up a little bit. This, yes, it is the Rascal Flatts Cars version, so it's all right. Turn it up this a little bit. I love this song. Go ahead, give a little bit more. Yeah, make this. How many of you guys know this song? All right. Kind of work our way through the verse here a minute, but when it gets to the chorus, I want you guys who know the song, maybe you know it now, but when it gets to the chorus, I want us all to stand up, just raise our hands, of course, I'm just kidding, <laughs> no, just uh, see if you can sing along with the chorus, alright, you guys, who doesn't know this song, this song is called Life is a Highway. You know, when you when you get on a road trip, I don't know about you, but I, I like my mixtapes, you know? Uh, they're still called mixtapes, even though it's on an MP3 or an iTunes account or Spotify. Um, you got your music, you crank it up, you it just kind of hits you on the road, the music in the open road, there's nothing like, in fact, that's one of my favorite parts of road trips, and that is the music. We've been talking about knowing and walking in God's will for our life, the adventure of following God's will. and But even on the best of trips, you need to stop. You can, you can kind of face it out here. You need to stop. Even with the right music, even with the open road in front of you with your favorite tunes cranked up in the car. Music always sounds so good in a car, right? Just turn it up. You're, you're enveloped. You're surrounded by the music. But there comes a point where sometimes you look at the gauge and you're just, you're just you know, you see the sign, next rest stop, you know, 40 miles, 50 miles. You ever been on one of those road trips where you're driving through Louisiana, Mississippi, or parts of Texas, and it says next rest stop is like, you know, in about an hour, you know, 40 to, to 50 to 120 miles, some of them are far away. Uh, and you're like, man, and you're looking at your gauge, you, you have to stop, don't you? There's certain reasons why you have to stop. Or maybe you're in the car and, and uh, um, the people in the car are just driving you crazy, <laughs> and you just need a break. Um, I'll tell you something, even on the best of trips, you need to stop. And I think of our, our move, you know, this is, uh, uh, some of this series has been inspired by the fact that we're taking a road trip across the street. And even on our space that is, uh, we had an initial move-in date of March 12th. Yeah, and then it was April 1st, and then it was May 1st, and then it was June 1st, and guess what today is? It's not June 1st. <laughs> it's past June 1st. It, and uh, now we're looking at maybe the end of this month. So we're, you know, but we're, it's coming along. But this slow, it keeps getting bumped. And we've had a few rest stops and detours along the way. And, and you got to think, you know, God, even in the rest stops, even when things seem like they're not going as planned, the timetable is not as what you had, had thought, um, God, are you still talking? God, are you still leading? And so today we're going to tackle this whole idea of does God talk and when we are 
at our end, or when we are exhausted, when we feel like we just can't move any farther. God, are you there? There's a little extremes on, on the whole God is talking thing. For some, it's not anymore. He doesn't speak. And then others, it's like all the time, oh, wait a minute, he's calling in right now. Yes, Lord? You know, there's a guy who is very popular. I'm not going to say who his name is. Uh, he was uh, uh, in the 80s and 90s were like when he was really popular. And he was a speaker, and he would be speaking. He'd be talking all of a sudden, oh, hold on. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, okay, okay. Yes, Lord. Yes, okay. And then he would go back, and I'm like, dude, what a fake. And th- and I couldn't help but think he was over-exaggerating. I don't think God exactly talks like, oh, hold on, got another call. Yes, God. I don't, I don't think God talks like that, but does God talk? Yes, he does. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at an example of how it happened back then. And I believe it how it still happens today. So does God talk? Yes, he does. But not in ways that we might expect. So uh, we're going to look at a story about a guy named Elijah. Elijah was a very popular prophet in the Old Testament. He was, uh, there's a lot of rumors about this guy who a lot of people think he's larger than life. But we're going to look at a guy who's really actually very human, uh, very much like us. A guy in the Old Testament who, next to Moses, probably talked to God more than anybody else. And some of the amazing stories that involve his life. But I do need a volunteer. Can I get a volunteer, a male volunteer to help? Why are they nominating you, Elijah? <laughs> what? Oh, he's, he says, okay. Peer pressure. No. All right. You're going to love this. Because what I want you to do is I want you to do curls. All right, just just take this. It's 10 pounds. I'm not 10 pounds is nothing, right? You can hold 10 pounds. I think so. Use both hands first, make sure. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was going to say, are you really going to do two no. hands? <laughs> okay. All right, just kind of keep doing them. All right, and, and until you can't anymore, okay? Just keep doing them, until, and, then, and then when you can't do them anymore, keep doing them. All right? So uh, this story is in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to begin with verse 1. We're going to fly over three chapters. So we're going to do a lot of reading, and we're going to unpack a story. Then we're going to see what it means for us today. So uh, chapter 17, verse 1, 1 Kings. says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbite in Gilead Gilead, uh, said to Ahab, uh, who was an extremely wicked king. This guy was an evil king. He said, Elijah said to Ahab, he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. That means there's going to be a famine. Fields are going to dry up. There's not going to be food. There's going to be no crops. He's basically, God has had enough of you, and it's coming upon you. This is all on you. So verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, leave here. Don't stick around here. So turn eastward like a GPS. God's like, you know, turn left, turn right. Turn eastward and hide in the Carith Ravine and ravens there will feed you. So this is kind of like a Dr. Doolittle situation here. Um, Elijah goes to this place, this ravine, and literally ravens deliver food. In the morning and in the afternoon. It's pretty amazing. 
by this brook, the, the ravens brought him breakfast and brought him dinner, and he drank from the brook. So God took care of him in this miracle of the ravens, all right? Then, verse 7, sometime later, we don't know how long, but sometime later, that usually means months sometimes in the Bible, um, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So we knew it was long enough for an entire stream to dry up. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Again, God's GPS, next destination, Zarephath. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. All right, clear instructions. Get up, go over here. GPS says go, put in the coordinates. So he went. How you doing? Did you just change arms? We could, I thought I could the whole time. Can I not change arms? Uh, you can change arms. I don't want to, like, get no. too big on this side and then uh, <laughs> nothing on that one. All right, so uh, for now, you can switch arms. Okay. There's going to be a moment when you can't, all right? <laughs> so you might want to get some strength in the one that's going to be the, all right? He says, uh, get up and go. I've commanded a woman. There'll be a woman who's going to feed you there. Um <laughs> Where was I at? <laughs> Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And by the way, this woman was gathering sticks to feed her and her son for the last time. She had no wheat left. She had no grain left except for one meal, and the place had dried up. She had no oil left, and so basically she, she told him that she was gathering uh, wood for her very last meal. And he uh, called her, and he says, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have something to drink? And so immediately she begins to say, Hey, you know what? Uh, I don't have anything, but what I have I'm going to give to you. We're going to have our last meal. And, and, and then Elijah, of all things, was instructed by God to ask her to feed him. So she had a choice there. She had a moment. She could have said no. Um, she had only one meal left, but she stepped out on the word of God through Elijah, and Elijah did just as God had said. You all right over there? And at that moment, God miraculously provided for Elijah and the woman, and there was a creative miracle where the oil and the grain multiplied. Stick it out, man. Keep going. Keep going, keep going, keep going. All right. Go all the way down if it's all easier. <laughs> no, whatever is easier for you. You can, you can use, yeah, I won't draw attention to that. All right. I won't say on the microphone that you just hit your chin with the, with the weight. All right, so verse 17, it says, Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. All right, so again, months later, Years later, possibly, he grew worse. Her son created a miracle. God provided for them, and miraculously, the oil and the grain just kept multiplying every day. So it was a miracle. But all of a sudden, the son started getting sick after some time. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. You know what that's code for? He died, all right? Her son died. And so she gets upset. Elijah, she says, what have you against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? What kind of God is this? You know, he leads you here. He leads me to help you. And my son dies. Well, instructed by the Lord, Elijah carries this boy, this man, this young man, into another room and prays for him. And after three prayers, her son comes back to life. He takes him back to her and says, hey, let's have dinner. It's exactly what happens, Eliza's resurrection miracle. So there were seeing miracle after miracle. 
Well, it gets even bigger. Chapter 18, and then this happens. After a long time, right, he hears God, raises the dead, does miracles, and now three years without hearing God. <clears throat> we know it's uh, three years because the next verse says so. In the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So Elijah hadn't heard from God in three years. All right, so three years later, God says, hey, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. It's been a famine for three years. It's time to get up and go. So time for me to send rain. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. All right, 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, chapter 18, verse 17, he says, when he saw Elijah, Ahab said this to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Here comes trouble, basically. You doing okay? You're going to be so strong <laughs> and sore. Verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have, and you have abandoned the Lord's commands, and you followed the Baals, that's false idols, and now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, and bring your 450 prophets of Baal, this Baal, by the way, is the God of rain, and keep in mind there hasn't been rain for three years, so this this God that they love and adore and worship hasn't been providing for them. And 400 prophets of Asherah who, uh, who eat at Jezebel's table. Asherah is considered like the, the, the bride of God. She is considered the greatest of all goddesses. And uh, she's the female super goddess. And so she is the one that, the, that uh, Jezebel... Uh, worships at. So he says, like, so bring all the prophets of Baal and then bring his wife's uh, prophets as well, you know, Asherah's, all her prophets. So a total of 850 prophets. This is bring them all. Do you need to get somebody else to replace? Too bad. Uh, I'm just, does it hurt? How much longer do you think you can go? A couple more minutes. All right, just give me, you just go until you absolutely cannot go any farther. All right, I won't shame you because you are going like really long. This is hard. It is hard. See, 10, 10 pounds isn't much, is it? 10 pounds is not a lot. I mean, every person in this room could, could, could curl 10 pounds. In fact, one of Stephen's kids came in and was, was playing with that 10 pounds and had it down. But the, even, even 10 pounds after a season, after a while, right? It gets hard, all right? So, so go as long as you can and then and just say, hey, Ted, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, yeah, all right? So no, no big deal, all right? Already? <laughs> all right, here, let me have it. Thanks, man. Let's give it up to Elijah. All right, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I was hoping you'd last longer. All right, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No, you did great. You did great. Uh, he, he manned up when nobody else would, men. <clears throat> All right, just kidding, but not really. All right, ver <laughs> okay, verse 19, it says, Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So basically, it's one of these moments. <whistles> wah, wah, wah. It's, a, it's a good, bad, and the ugly moment. It's a showdown. Let's have a God showdown, 850 prophets against one man, Elijah. So Elijah draws a line in the sand, and he says, all right, here's your chance. Who will you follow, people? Elijah tells the prophets to get two bulls and sacrifice them to Baal, and he says, and I'll do the same to the Lord God. And he says, and whoever's God, and whoever's God lights the barbecue wins. So this is what happens. So they... 
the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they dance around and cry out to Baal. And it says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. I love this. Elijah talking smack. Elijah's talking smack in the Bible, all right? So it says, shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. You know, perhaps he's in deep thought or busy. And by the way, that word busy literally means going potty. So he's saying, he's saying, come on, shout louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom, you know. And then he says, or traveling or out of town. And he goes on, maybe he's sleeping. He's taking a nap and he must be awakened. I love this. Then he started. And then they, in order to to get Baal's attention, is the Bible says that these prophets, these false prophets began to cut themselves and bleed on the altar. And they began to cry out to Baal even harder. And they did this all day. And by night, Elijah says, step aside. All right? And this is where it picks up in verse 36. Elijah builds an altar. He sacrifices the bull, then soaks the altar with water. So he says, guys, I'm not just going to call down fire, but we're going to drench this barbecue. Right, this all this rain we've had in the last few days, you know, trying to cook outside has been a real damper, you know. But here's Elijah, all right, put the bull on top now, you know, hosing out more buckets, guys. And they're like, oh man, this guy's a show off because Elijah had full confidence that God was going to show up. He says, So at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He said, Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, which is Jacob. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Great day, you know. It's like, God, do it you know, massive fire, didn't just like, you know, you know, it was like the whole thing, the stones, everything was pulverized by this massive fire that God consumed. It's a miracle. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. That means they fell face ground on the ground, uh, face down on the ground, and they cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah prays for rain, and it begins to rain, God comes through. Powerful moment. Powerful moment. Elijah's on a roll. Man, he's man, he's like miracle, man, raising the dead, right? Miracle, creative miracle, man, providing and feeding this woman and her family for years, right? God show, I mean, God is so on Elijah's side that when God led him to this brook, GPS led the ravens, man, the animals were feeding him. Man, this is man, he's on a roll. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now Ahab runs to Jezebel, his political wife, and he says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life uh, like one of them, basically, all those 850 prophets, the Bible says that they were all slaughtered. So basically, it's just to say, you know what, Elijah, I'm coming after you, and you're going to die just like all those prophets. And so Elijah says, oh, yeah, bring it on. Look, look what has happened with God, right? Bring it on. And this is not what he does. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. 
he freaks out and runs. Now, this is one of these weird stories because that's the part that, man, we, maybe you've grown up in church a little bit. And you've heard the story of Elijah calling down fire. And then they usually stop there. They don't tell you about how 850 of those prophets were slaughtered, you know, and, and killed. And, and how the, you know, it, but they also don't tell you how he ran away. Just moments later, within verses, Jezebel says, I'm coming after you, right? So we hear about all these great miracles, but we're never told that part. We tend to end on the fire, and he runs off, and he leaves his, his servant by himself. He leaves everybody, and he runs off by himself, tired, and he sits under a tree. I mean, he just stands up in the face of 850 false pagan prophets, and at the voice, at the memo, at the letter, at the message of one woman, he goes running. That's how powerful women are in men's lives. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're afraid of women. It never goes away. First uh, Kings 19.4, he says, While he himself went a day's journey into a desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. And if you have your Bible, you need to circle this part. I've had enough, Lord. Isn't that something? This man of God led faithfully on the road trip of his life to these dynamic places of God's provision he hits a wall. He hits like serious resistance. I mean, he said resistance before, but he said he just had enough, Lord. Wow, unexpected. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like, man, Lord, I've had enough? I mean, you're doing great things for God or you're trying to do great things for God. You feel like you're following God's guidance and, and you know, you've overcome some resistance, but there just comes a point where the resistance is just exhausting. He says, Lord, I've had enough. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Wow, man. He says, basically, I'm as weak as they are. He says, then he laid down under the tree and fell asleep. He was just, he was exhausted. And I love how the Bible tells it. An angel appears um, at this much-needed rest stop of Elijah. And an angel appears and begins to care for him. God doesn't give him an angel to, to spank his hind end and tell him, get your act together. Get back on the road. Get out there. No, I love how gentle the angels that, that God sends, these ministering angels, says, all at once, angels touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. Man, fresh baked bread by an angel, right? So they cook him this fresh baked bread. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Verse 7, the angel Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. It's like serving and restoration, ministering angel. I love this. It's, you know, we need those rest stops, and God's not going to, you know, get onto us and smack us around and be angry at us. He, he often sends people into our life. In this case, he sends angels into his life to, to say, hey, hey, you know, it's not, a, get up, what's wrong with you? And it was, get up and eat something and then go back and lay down. And then a little bit later, get up and have something to eat. You know, he's exhausted. They're letting him sleep. He says, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. At this point, the Bible says that he's strengthened and he gets up and he walks for 40 days to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai in the Bible. So basically, he walks 40 days to the place where Moses was given the law of God. So basically he's saying, God, this is probably the most holiest place 
at the time, there was no Jerusalem. There was no capital city. So Mount Horeb, you know, that Mount Sinai was the, was the holiest place for a follower of the Lord because that was the place where God showed up and, and, and gave the law to Moses. So he's basically saying, God, you, you spoke to Moses here. Will you speak to me? He goes back to the place where he heard God's voice. He says, God, you spoke here. Will you speak to me now? And he, he crawls into a cave and he waits. God, where are you? Silence. And then finally this, verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him, uh, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now that's a rhetorical question. It's not a, what are you doing here? It's more of a, you know, soul-searching question, like why are you really here? Okay, he replied, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars, and they put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah felt alone. He felt nobody's with him. Nobody was on his side. Nobody understood what he was going through. He says, God, all this that I have done for you, when will you give me a break, God? I've served you. I've followed you. I've tried my best. I mean, God, I've done all this. Where are you? You know, and here was the problem with Elijah. He was thinking about maybe all the things he had done instead of thinking about all the things that the Lord had done through him. So then the Lord said, asked him again, and he said the same thing again, and this is what the Lord responded. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is about to pass by. Sounds cool, but he doesn't get up. And this is what happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. So a giant storm, a whirlwind, just like a thunderstorm, powerful wind blew through, shattered the rocks, but the Lord was not in the whirlwind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, a trembling earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the, but the Lord was not in the fire, maybe like an explosion, just a bright light, but the Lord was not in that. After the fire, there came a gentle whisper, Elijah, Elijah. I like the older translations, they say, then came a still, small voice, Elijah. Then he gets up. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And there, uh, then a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Soul-searching question, rhetorical, self-reflective. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Yehu over Israel and anoint Elijah to succeed you as prophet. He then explains that these two kings will bring justice and anoint your new best friend, Elijah, because you're not alone. Verse 18, it says, yet I, he says, yet I reserve 7,000 Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. And he says, not only are you not alone, but there's 7,000 people who need you. Get back there. You've had a good break. It's a good rest stop. You went back to your roots. You found the voice of God again. He says, they're waiting for you. Are you rested? Get going. So the story continues, amazing story of miracles and provision. He stands up to 850 prophets. Then he runs away from one woman, exhausted and losing his way, looking for God. He pulls off to the side. He takes the exit, and he, had, he hits the first rest stop. So what I want to do to now is I want to talk to you about what God does at our rest stops. 
You know, we all need rest stops. And I was telling the band uh, briefly about this, some of the guys up here. Is that I'm not very good at this, honestly. I'm the drive-all-night kind of guy. I'm, the, You know, if you've ever been on a road trip with me, I mean, you know, when people stop, you know, need to go to the bathroom and want to take a break, I'm like, <laughs> you know, unless, unless you're crying, you know, that you have to, you know, when you lead a group, you know, sometimes you don't get that ability. You have to stop a lot, and it's very frustrating, and you just have to accept that. But, you know, when it's just our family, I like to drive, and, and I, I like to... I like the experience, I like to drive, I like to, but you know what, uh, we have to take those breaks, and I'm not very good at them, and in life, sometimes I'm not very good at taking breaks either, you know, a lot of times, even on my day off, I feel like I got to be productive, right, even when I'm resting, I got to be productive, even when I'm not doing something, I got to be doing something, right, so there's a, some of us have no problem with this today, so you're going to be comforted in, in that you're doing it okay, you know, but most of us have a struggle with the rest stop, have a struggle with the break. Now, this is not an excuse to just be lazy. I'm taking a break for the next five years. No, this is not a, an extended break or an excuse to, to actually indulge in simple behavior either. This is, these are God-oriented breaks, uh, God's plan for us on the road trip of life. Because even the, the most powerful prophets get exhausted. Even the most uh, pinpointed people, man, praying, hearing God, you know, doing great things for God, even those people, even you need to take the exit. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk briefly about four things about what we can learn from these rest stops, okay, what they're there for. And this is the first thing here is uh, the rest stops are for restoration. Now, I gave this weight uh, to Elijah, and Elijah uh, was doing curls. And I, and I tell you, you know, 10 pounds is very doable. You know, some of you women could have done it as well. You know, I just picked a guy because I knew it was going to be more painful, and I didn't want to, you know, be, you know, impolite. Um, but there's this idea that even 10 pounds, which is doable, starts getting painful after a while, right? Even the things that, that you can manage, you can't manage after a while. Even the simple tasks that should be just a, a breeze and an easy part of your life, when you are exhausted, when you are tired, when you're stressed, when you need a break and you're just determined to just to push through, even the simple things begin to get painful and to get uh, hard, right? And, and the only remedy, the only answer to, to those moments is to take a break, right? Like if I asked Elijah back up, he could probably go another, you know, five, ten minutes maybe, you know, maybe, you know, some of you could do that. And, you know, you, regardless of how strong you are, you're going to need a break after a while. So the first reason that we have these rest stops are for restoration. We stop to fuel up. Even, the, even when you're driving by yourself and you're driving all night long, you still have to stop to get some fuel. Fuel for the car, for the truck, or for you. You still have to restore road trips. People get on your nerves. I need to get out. Even the best of drivers need a break. Driving can take a toll. You need to stop. You need to stretch. You need to sleep. You need to breathe. You need some space, right? We go to, we go to youth camp. I haven't been, didn't go last year. Uh, been a, 
am in ministry 25 years this year in full-time ministry and have taken kids to camp, you know, many, 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 many times. And so, you know, I love young people. I love road trips. But there just comes a moment when I got to get out of the van. You know, I just, I need some space. I need some silence. I need some fresh air because it smells like teenage boys in the van. And the things that they fill the van up with, smell-wise, right? And sometimes you just, you just need to breathe. You need a break. And even people who love young people need a break, right? So there's moments when, and then you take the break, you stretch your legs, you know, you, you, know, you meander around, you know, you know, the gas station, whatever, and you're like, all right, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready, right? You know, we all need these moments. Elijah was going, going, going. He had clear objectives. He had direction with great victory, but even Elijah hit a wall. He faced 850 angry pagan prophets with boldness, but because he was stressed and had enough, that one woman pushed him over the edge. Why did he need to stop? He could have handled her, but like the weights, it was just wearing on him. And I love that prayer that he prays to God. He says, God, Lord, had enough. I just, I need a break. He felt alone. He felt exhausted. He was getting frustrated. The road had got to him. He took the exit. God didn't yell at him. He sent ministering angels to him to revive him and, and to help him. First Kings 19, 7 says, says um, that the Lord, that the, 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 the angel of the Lord came back and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Guys, listen, some of you, it's time to rest. The journey is getting too much for you. It's getting too much. Pull over. You're not helping by pushing through. And this is, this is what the Bible calls the value or the gift of the Sabbath. And see, a lot of us who, who are adult, in our adult years now, we work way, 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 way too much. There's a gift being given to us that happened on the very uh, second day of man's life. The sixth day, God created human beings, and then he says, all right, get to work, but don't forget, on that seventh day, I want you to just take a break. Every week, every seven-day cycle, you need a break. You need to be restored. You need to be refreshed. You need to reflect, and you just need, you need to breathe. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. We're terrible at a Sabbath. Now, in the law, that means in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a Saturday. That's the seventh day of the week. But in the New Testament, Jesus says that the Sabbath was, was a gift to man. Jesus said, you know, that the man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for the man. It was a gift for us, a day of rest and restoration and reflection. And you know what? Maybe your Sabbath is a Monday. Maybe your Sabbath is on a Wednesday. Maybe it's Friday. Maybe it is Saturday. Maybe it's today. Maybe you come to service today and you reflect, you restore, you refresh, and then you just kind of rest all the rest of the day today. But you know what? You need that day. We need rest. And you know what? That includes sleep too. You know, oftentimes when I counsel people over depression, you know, the big things I ask them, I ask them, of course, if they're praying. I ask them if they're reading their Bible. I ask them what their life at church is like. And then I begin to ask them, how are you sleeping? What's your day of rest like? Because, you know, even the best of us, if we're not resting, if we're not sleeping right, we're just angry, gripey, you know, just mean people. 
right? Road rage is a result of people who have very short fuses, and it's often because of a lack of sleep and a lack of rest. Because even the small things begin to push us over when we get irritated. And, I, you know, and this is something that, you know, my wife reminds me of is that, you know, I find myself getting irritated over people. You know, I know. I'm so gracious. But I told her the other day, <laughs> just, I'll tell you, I'm going to confession, all right? When I'm at a stop sign and someone pulls up, you know, and you get, and I'm first, so I'm going first. I should be going first. It's my turn, you know, I, you know, and, and we, we get there, and the guy pulls up, and I'm about to go because it's my turn, and he, he, they inch a little bit, and then they go like this. <sighs> just want to punch him, <laughs> you know? I'm like, don't tell me to go with your little attitude hand. It's my turn. I hate that. I was telling Nicole that. She goes, you need to chill. <laughs> she goes, you want to punch somebody? Are you taking your blood pressure medicine? <laughs> it's so irritating. You know, that little thing like that. I'm like, I'm having a great day until some, it's usually a guy in a big truck too, you know? It's like, just because you're in a big truck, you ain't nothing. <laughs> some of you guys, all right. Just like those things shouldn't irritate me, right? That's because I have to learn this lesson, guys, just like you. I have to learn to take breaks. I have to learn to breathe. I have to learn to, to be restored. Some of you, it's time to rest, to pull over. The journey's too much. The value of rest, the gift of the Sabbath to ensure you reflect, restore, and refresh. Here's the second thing that a rest stop does is a rest stop is about learning to enjoy the journey. On road trips, the journey is the adventure, sometimes more so than the destination. You know, uh, our, we're moving across the street, but that's just, that's not our destination, y'all. That's a tool to maybe a future destination. God may have something else for us after that. We've been here in this movie theater for 11 years. Can you believe that? And it's been great, it's been fun, it's been stressful uh, in some regards, but it's been a blessing. And you know what, the journey, you know, that's why going back to these road trips with like the youth, man, the journey, the road trip from Dallas to, to Panama City, Florida, when we go to Big Stuff, for example, is, that's man, that's a blast, being in the van, going to a hotel, stopping at the fun stuff, and, and, and getting a chance to just to, to laugh together and build a relationship. The journey is part of the mission. It's part of the road trip. It's not so much the destination sometimes. Here's a roadside America. You guys ever been, there's a website called Roadside America, and they've got places all over the world. I threw in some other like real sites, you know, like that one in the middle there, that's actually in South Texas in Austin. Uh, that's beautiful. And uh, this this hole over here, this this is a swimming hole. That's actually water. Uh, we went to that last year, our family, and that was a blast. You know, this, of course, Mount Rushmore. Who doesn't ever want to stop at a giant dinosaur on the side of the road? You know what I'm saying? The biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. Sign me up. I'm going. Uh, I almost put a picture of it, but once I put a picture up, it didn't look that interesting. So <laughs> Route 66 has all this cool stuff. It's Roadside America. This website is pretty cool. It's also, it's also a location where they have like this, this map and these models and stuff. But uh, this right here, this spaceship, that's actually uh, in, in uh, Texas. 
and it's just south of Middle Othian, and, and we've stopped there. There's a picture of Noel uh, on top of it. She climbed on top of it, and it's a pretty cool, it used to be like an arcade, now it's like an abandoned spaceship. It's really cool. Um, but there's, that's, of course, in Dallas, and that's Amarillo, the Cadillacs, and, you know, the, the idea is that the, 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 the road trip is part of the fun, right? That's the adventure of the road trip, and I tell you, Elijah learned to enjoy the journey because his detour, his rest stop took him to one of the most important sites of the day, and that was a place of interest known as Mount Hebron or Mount Sinai. It was the place God spoke to Moses. And I can imagine Moses walking 40 days there. He's taken an exit. He's obviously off the GPS now. He's, he's resting. He's getting restored. But he, he goes to this place of interest, Mount Hebron. And I'm, I'm just trying to imagine him walking up this mountain as much as he could. And he's standing, looking out over, you know, the desert there. And he's saying, God, wow, years ago, Moses stood here and heard your voice and talked to you and a million and a half people camped out there just trying to figure out how to follow your voice and and God you showed up and just just to stand in the footsteps of Moses what a what a great experience and you know what sometimes our rest stops are about remembering to learn to enjoy the journey uh, this is about learning to stop and pause, look around you. It's about holding your kids a little bit longer, having coffee with a friend, uh, kissing your wife and, and uh, laughing, uh, the, the, looking at life as a journey, not a destination. So many times we get this mission in life, this thing that we're supposed to do, and we're like, just get out of my way. You know, we're just we're plowing through to get there. And God's like, man, just put the brakes on, bro, and just kind of relax and, and enjoy the people around you. You know, this is about learning that life is a journey, not a destination. The last 11 years of being in this theater have been both a pleasure and a trial. Uh, things that we could have done better uh, are, are always in front of me that we could have utilized being here in the mall. Uh, but I can't live in what could have been or should have been. I, I've got to learn how to live in the now and learn to embrace where I am now and what God's given me now to be responsible for. This is about being thankful and embracing the detours and embracing the people around you. The way that God leads us may not make sense to us, but he has reasons for each and every detour. A couple of those reasons are detours tend to showcase God's faithfulness. And this is something that Elijah had to learn is that he went years without hearing God. And he just had to be faithful to what he knew. And so when we take those exits, when we're exhausted, when we're tired, you know, Elijah didn't go, God, I'm done living for you. No, he says, God, I'm just having a hard time living at all. But I'm going to love on you. I'm never going to leave you, Lord. I'm just struggling with being alive. You know, he was honest with God, and God began to put in him a love for life again, a love for the journey, a love for the mission, a love for the road trip that was ahead of him. And sometimes we just need to stop and enjoy the people around us in our life. Another reason for detours is they're an opportunity to learn to trust God and to build faith. So, if you're thinking, man, what a waste of time it is to be on break, you know, I was telling one of, uh, Sean this, that, you know, once we move into our space, we've got a lot, everybody say a lot of work to do once we get in. We're going to have to restructure a lot of our kids' ministry. We're going to restructure 
uh, our entire youth ministry. Uh, the upstairs is going to be built out completely. We are not building out any of the upstairs until we move in. So we're going to be using a lot of us in this room to build out the upstairs. And, and we've got work to do outside. You know what, you know what we do now? We, we have a pit crew. We set up and we, we tear down and we're done, right? And then we meet in homes during the week. But you know, once we have a space, we're going to have to take care of lights and paper towels and toilet paper and cleaning the place and emptying trash cans and all that. There's a lot of work that's going to be involved in maintaining a space that we're now responsible for and the ministries that are going to be using those. There's a lot more work involved. And, and you know what? There's, there's going to be a lot in front of us. So it's not like, it's going to be so easy. We get a place. We don't have to set up anymore. Oh, there's a lot more to do. All right, you may not have to get it here as early, but you'll, you'll have a lot more to do. And so I was talking to, to Sean about this, uh, you know, these breaks. It's taking us so long to get there. It's, it's like God is saying, just enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy being able to go home on Sunday afternoon and not worry about anything. Right? Enjoy not having to clean the paper towel, uh, the toilets right now right? and replacing paper towels. Just enjoy that right now. Enjoy the journey because <laughs> when you get there, you know, so this is part of enjoying what God has for you. You know, some of you guys are so anxious to get to school. Enjoy the journey to school. You're so anxious to get that next promotion, to get that next. Enjoy where you're at now at work or in your family, right? Instead of waiting for your kids to get out of the house, enjoy the fact that they are in the house. You know, instead of waiting for them, man, when they can crawl and walk and speak and, and go to school, man, just enjoy where they are because it goes by so fast. Here's the third thing. The rest stop um, is a direction clarification. Um, but what he got was rest and clear direction. When he went, God told him exactly what he needed to do. He, the, he was to go back, and he says, you were going in the right direction. Now get back there and, and get to work. Uh, but know this. God gave him clear direction. So a couple of things real quick on um, the Elijah principles on hearing God is the first thing is this. We want thunder and lightning, but God likes to whisper. You know, we like, God, you know, God, give me a sign. That's God. I'm, it's a, the lightning struck right when I prayed. That must be a sign. We like the thunder and the lightning. Uh, he finds him not in the most explosive events of his life, in this case, the, the wind, the quake, and the fire, but in a whisper. Verse 11 of chapter 19, Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not on the earthquake. And after that came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. We want the big things. We want the evidence. We like the audible voice. In this story, God did show up big. I mean, he called down fire, man, and God soaked up that, that heaven's barbecue, you know, the ravens feeding him miracle of the oil and the wheat. Man, it was ministering angels. That's what we often look for. We look for the big things. But you know what? When, when it really came down to it, when it came to the moment when Elijah's life was on the line and he felt like he wanted to end his life, God didn't show up in the explosive events. He showed up in a still, gentle, small whisper. And a lot of times we're looking for the wrong things. The one time it seemed God did not step up, he ran. You want to know where God was, and God took him to the, to the woodshed of Mount Hebron. God was saying, my presence is most experienced in a still, small voice. The comfort of knowing God is with you. And I love this. This is, this is, this is a breakthrough. Why a whisper? 
because you have to get real close to hear a whisper. You have to get real close, almost touching it, to whisper into somebody's ear. It's one of the most intimate things you can do. You know, when, when you have children and you whisper in your kids' ears, it's very close, very intimate, very special. When you whisper into your wife or your husband's ear, to someone's ear who you love, I love you. Hello. <laughs> it's powerful. It's intimate. And God says, you know what? These, these big events, that's me. But if you really want to experience my presence, it's a whisper. It's with intimacy. It says, we look for the wind, the thunder, and the fire, thunder and lightning, Christians, noisy but light on godliness, arrogant and full of prideful lives. They're, man, they're the thunder and lightning Christians, right? But don't confuse thunder and lightning with God. There's a th- second thing, Elijah principles we're hearing God is don't expect the rare to be common. Elijah went years between hearing from God. He had to trust and rely on what God had already said and what God had done. You know why the miracles are written down in the Bible? Because they're a big deal. Because they were rare. And if they happened every day, then they wouldn't be miracles. They wouldn't be supernatural. They would be natural. But they are supernatural. They are rare. And if they were there every day, then they wouldn't be rare, but they are incredible God sightings. And it's important that we know that we should, should not expect the rare to be common. I've had miracles in my life where God showed up, where I have prayed for the sick and seen them healed, where God has done miracles of provision and healing, but they are rare. And I've often tried to reproduce them, but I can't. We tend to look for a recipe to control God to do our bidding. But God is not a vending machine with some magic formula where we can put on our prayer coins and buy and get anything we want from God. I've learned to seek the miracle worker, not the miracle. And it's important that we understand that sometimes the miracles are not there, but that doesn't mean that God is not there. Third thing, the Elijah principle is this, is God primarily speaks through Scripture. In Elijah's case, it was the voice of the word of God that he had spoken, that he had written down, that had been shared in the prophets, the, 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 the law of Moses. You know, guys, listen, when Elijah was having a trouble hearing God, where did he go? He went back to the word of the Lord. He went to Mount Hebron where the law was given. He went to the place where God spoke the word of God. And guys, the greatest moments of God's clarity in our life are going to be through the scriptures primarily. God uses the Bible, the Holy Spirit. He uses wise counsel. He uses supernatural events, but he most often whispers to us in the word of God. When those quakes, storms, and fire, and even miracles happen, that's great, but look for him in the whisper, in that still small voice of the scripture of God. Does God speak today? Yes, he does, but not on demand, as Elijah learned. He does intervene, but at his timetable, not ours. But when we pull over and take a break, then we hear God best. You know, it was when I was going through treatment with my chemotherapy that the vibe was spoken to me from God. We had embraced the movie theater and just say, hey, we're just going to be a theater church. Maybe this is where we're supposed to be. And, and we just embraced it. And I thought, man, I'm ready to be a theater church forever, right? And then in 2009, when I was going through chemotherapy and God puts, man, he, he didn't just push the pause button. God pushed the stop button on my life. And I had to just pray and pray, God, 
Am I going to live? Do you have a future for me? Is this, is this the end of living way? Is this the end of my part in living way? And we had people around us telling me to resign from our church and just to close the church. People that we love were actually telling us that. And I said, no, I knew what God called us to do, but it was in those moments of prayer that God began to say, you know what? Embrace the theater, but there's a season and, and God put in my heart to call it the Vive, which I'd heard from another friend who had a church that had failed, and he called his church the Vive. And I said, hey, man, uh, since your church doesn't exist, can I use your name? Uh, <laughs> uh, it means life. Vibe means life. It's a, it's a, it's a multi-language word. It's a Latin word that means life or to live found in many languages, and I thought, you know what, we want to be a place where life is brought to this community, and, and you know, but God said, but it's not now, but it's for later. It's like Abraham, God took him to Abraham and said, see it all, that's for later, <laughs> right? And I felt like that's what God was saying to me, but it came at my break. It came when I was exhausted through chemotherapy that God began to speak to me, okay? Here's the last thing, we'll wrap it up with this, is that is, what can we learn from the rest stops? Number four is this, the rest stop takes care of the needs of others. Sometimes the rest stop is not for yourself. It's for the people in the car with you, right? If you've ever gone on a, on a road trip and you're fine, there's sometimes we just stopped. We just stopped. And the person who has like the smallest bladder in the whole van <laughs> gets the biggest drink that that gas station has to offer. And then we're like an hour out of the road and, we're getting messages from the carpool. So-and-so's got to go to the bathroom. We're like, nope. <laughs> a few minutes later, they need to really go to the bathroom. Nope. And then my wife says, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're turning off right here. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it's not for us. It's for others. And, and Elijah learned this too. Elijah, verse 15 and 18 says, go back the way you came. Anoint Hazael king over Aram. Anoint Yehu over Israel. And Elijah to be the next you. And on top of that, there's 7,000 people that are waiting for you and who need you. And he wouldn't have known that unless he took the break. He wouldn't have heard God's clarity in that direction unless he took the exit. A proper rest stop gets our eyes on the needs of others. See, when we take breaks and we leave room for reflection and refreshment, our family is better. You know, if you're a man or a woman who works all the time and you're not accustomed to taking breaks, you know, when you take those breaks, your family is closer. Your, your kids are closer. They feel love. You know, during our, our move, you know, uh, you know, it's important. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, it's summertime. You know, a lot of you guys are taking vacations. I'm like, man, this is, we're going to be, at the rate, at the moves going, we're going to be moving in while some of you guys are on break and on vacation. I'm like, oh, you know, we need everybody here. Nobody take vacations this summer. Nobody at all. You know, I'm like, well, that's not right. Right? Because because those breaks are needed for every one of us. Every trip, every weekend, every excursion, unless we overdo it. You know, there's a possibility of you just like taking a break all the time. Um, but you need to know when the right exit is and when, the, when you need to stay on the road. But oftentimes those breaks are good to ensure that you keep a healthy marriage, to ensure that you keep friendships close. Uh, when we take breaks, we get a, a greater sense of the value of the lives of those around us and the role they play in our life. Those breaks remind you that you're not the goal, that serving uh, the road trip is not the goal, but serving the destination is not the goal, but serving others' lives is the goal. It's the Great Commission. 
when we take breaks, you give room for interruptions and room for clarity. And I love this part because God brings people across our path. The rest stops give us a chance to take a break and to help them. You know, the story of the Good Samaritan is a great example of these uh, Levite and a priest who was on goal. Boom, he was on, they were on point. And they, they saw a person in need, and they were so on point on their road trip of life, man, they just zipped by. They had no margin, no room to help anybody. See, if you don't allow the breaks to happen in your life, then you're going to miss the whole point of part of the great mission that we have to help others around us. You know, we don't want to end up like the Pharisees who are so committed to the mission, quote, unquote, that we can't really help and take the time to help the people around us. And it's important that we understand that these rest stops take care of the needs of others, create margin, make space, turn off distractions, breathe, listen to God, slow down. This mission God has for us, for you, is exciting. Enjoy the trip, but don't rush it and drive all night. Pushing through the and aggravating everyone. Slow down, reflect, refresh, be restored, get clarification, reset, sleep, then get back on the road. I want to end with a passage in Matthew, and then we're going to watch a video. And I want us to take some moments of, of rest today and clarification. So Matthew 28, verse 25 says this. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Some of you guys get this today. Humble in spirit, childlike in, in spirit, you get this today. Some of you are like, I don't need any breaks. I don't need to uh, drive all night, drive all night. I'm, says, you know what? Thank you for revealing this to the childlike. He says, yes, Father. It has pleased you to do it this way. See, God uses the unexpected. He reveals himself to the humble. Verse 27, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father, and no one truly knows the father except the son, and those to whom the son cho uh, chooses to reveal. With this in mind, Jesus says this. So then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take the exit. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. His plans, his mission, his road trip, his yoke is bearable, guys. Pull to the side. Toss your burdens and pick up his mission, he will let you and guide you to the breaks necessary for you to be able to travel the road with him. So are you exhausted and worn down and feeling overwhelmed? What I want to do is I want us to, this is a, a kind of a recut of Psalm 23 in video. And I just want you to take a moment and just, just contemplate this video. And then when it's over, we're going to do a little exercise, okay? So let's start, let's start with this.
Okay, what we're going to do now is um, we're going to do a little exercise. And, um, you know, it's a little late, but the movie starts at 2, so we're good. We're going to leave some margin right now. So what I want us to do is I want us just to be silent. Okay? And um, no music, no nothing, just silence for a few minutes. Often, see, the people get real uncomfortable with just a minute or two of silence. Embrace this moment, this, this space. I want you to breathe. I want you to spend some time talking to Jesus, and in, but spend most of the time silent and listening for his voice, his still small voice. Thank you for the peace of God that transcends all understanding, Father, when we lay our cares and our burdens at your feet. If you're here this, this morning and you're saying, you know, I, I do feel exhausted and I do feel tired and I, 
I do feel like, Lord, I've had enough. The response is Jesus saying, cast all your cares, your burdens upon me, for I care for you, Jesus says. He cares for you. So just cast them upon him. Say, Father, here's my work, here's my job, here's my, my money struggles, here's this relationship I'm really hurting over. God, I'm just casting them upon you. And in return, Father, give me your peace and show me where to go. Father, thank you, Lord. Help me, help us, Father, to take those breaks, to leave margin, to, to have the space to hear your voice, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.